continue to look at um, prayer. Last, last week we looked from Romans 12.12 12 at the case for a prayer meeting. Um, tonight I wanted to look at what prayer is. And this could be applied not only in our public corporate prayer, but also could be applied in our individual life. Let me just ask this question for you to, to ponder. Why is it difficult to pray? And I, when I say that, I'm thinking not only why is it difficult to pray, say, in a prayer meeting, but why is it just difficult to pray? Why do we have such a hard time with that? Many of us are familiar with the, the quote about Martin Luther, that when he's at his busiest, and remember Martin Luther was incredibly busy as not only pastoring, writing, he was leading a, the single most important revolution the world's ever seen. And he said when he had no time at all, he would spend two hours in prayer. That's the Martin Luther we're familiar with. The Martin Luther we don't often hear about is the Martin Luther that says, I haven't prayed in two weeks. I can't even pick up my word and study it. Because Martin Luther also said things like that. And I think I relate more to that Martin Luther than the Martin Luther that when he's at his busiest will spend two hours in prayer. But maybe one reason is we don't study prayer in the Scripture. We don't see it in the Scriptures. It can be that sometimes we've never thought or stopped to consider how we ought to pray and why we ought to pray. This is an important thing. Didn't Jesus' disciples ask Jesus, teach us how to pray? There's another thing that can be hesitant in prayer, especially in public prayers, is we're worried sometimes about what others might think about our prayers. Aren't we? I... I, I'd, I'd be the first to admit that that can be nerve-wracking. <clears throat> yeah. When, when you, when you, they say that you hear the King James Version prayers. Sometimes that's hard to pray after that. But there's a couple of reasons. Scripture actually warns us how we pray. Did you know that? Uh, Ecclesiastes 5 says this in verse 2, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are, you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You ever uttered a superfluous prayer? Think about what Jesus says about public prayer. Jesus says this, And when you pray, you must not be like hypocrites. Well, right out of the gate, Jesus says, Don't pray like this. He says, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So we have warnings about our prayers. So there, there then is clearly a wrong way to pray, and then there's a right way to pray. So I'm going to go through a question tonight 
This comes from the Baptist Catechism that was attached to the, to the 1689 Baptist Catechism. It's very much like the Westminster. And it asks this question. I'll read the question, I'll read the answer, and then we're going to go through each point of the answer. What is prayer? Prayer, this is the answer, is an offering up of our desires to God by the assistance of the Holy Spirit for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ, believing with the confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. That is prayer according to, uh, well, both Presbyterians and Baptists would say that that's what prayer is, and other denominations would agree with that as well. So the first thing it is, is this, is prayer is an offering up of our desires to God. So we're taking desires that we have, and we're taking them to God. This is where it can be dangerous, because sometimes we have desires that are not of God's will, right? Well, notice what the Psalms say. The Psalms actually teach us about this as well. We read this, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. That is Psalm 62, verse 8. That is offering up, pouring out before God our desires to Him. The word pour out, it means here, to express without restraint. Now, I did a word study. I just looked up in my, my Bible software program how many times that word's used in other places. It's sometimes used to translate for shedding of blood in the death of a person, which is, is showing everything coming out of the person. Now, this is the same word is used for pouring out our heart before God. So that's where you get that idea of an express without restraint. In other words, we're to take what's in our heart to God. We're to put it before God. We're to pour it out before Him. Now, we obviously have to balance that out with what we read in Ecclesiastes. Let your words be few. I think, though, this shows us something important about how and or what the content of our prayers. We are, have a freedom when we go to God in prayer. We have a freedom to take everything to God in prayer. We're not limited in what we, I better not pray that to God about this concern in my heart. But actually, we're to take everything to our Father in prayer. Now, with this idea of let your words be few, I think what that means isn't that we are supposed to necessarily have very short prayers. Although, maybe some, maybe there's some that could shorten prayers. What it means when it says, let your words be few, is that we're not just supposed to be simply blabbering before God. We're to think about it. We're to think about what it is that we're pouring out to God. Remember, as you pour out your heart to God, God is in heaven, you are on earth. God is holy, we are not. And we have to recognize this in the difference between private and public prayers. Are you going to pour out everything in your heart in a public prayer? Probably not not wise to do that. But in your private prayer, you might. And you probably should. 
it's, it's a time for you to do that. So it, it, it takes wisdom in, in knowing how to determine that. But let me ask you, are we timid when it comes to offering out our desires to God? Whether it be public or private prayer. Do you ever get the sense like, this seems selfish for me to be asking this. But the Lord tells us to pour out our desires to Him. The Lord tells us, pour out your heart before Him. The next part of that verse says, God is a refuge for us. So we're called to take things to the Lord. We're called to pray for Him. Sometimes it seems strange to pray for, for myself when I'm sick. I've been praying for myself like every day for the last two weeks because I'm tired of feeling sick. That's okay. The Lord calls us to do that. That we, call, we pray for one another and we pray for ourselves. The second thing is this, is that we're to pray by the assistance of the Holy Spirit. So we are to pray by the assistance of the Holy Spirit. If you look over at Romans chapter 8, let me read this passage. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now there's two basic interpretations of this verse. One is the verse, the idea that we don't really say anything and the Spirit's just praying on our behalf. Now it is true the Spirit does intercede on our behalf. But is that what that verse is saying? The other interpretation is that the Spirit works in our heart so that we have words to say to God in prayer. And that's the, the way I, I take it. John Owen writes, The first thing we ascribe unto the Spirit is herein, that he supplieth and furnish the mind with a due comprehension of the matter of prayer, or what ought both in general and as unto all our particular, particular occasions to be prayed for. In other words, when John Owen looks at that verse, he says it's the Spirit actually, it's saying that the Spirit is supplying us with language to pray. John Murray also says it must be, therefore, in their hearts that the groanings take place, and the groanings are those of the saints. They are, however, the media of the Holy Spirit's intercession and they ascend to the throne room of grace in the form of groanings. In other words, the Spirit works in us in our prayer life. How does the Spirit teach us? What's the playground of the Holy Spirit? The Word of God. Where is it that we learn the words of prayer? Scripture. The Spirit brings to mind you, you ever are in prayer and all of a sudden a scripture comes to mind about uh, uh, the attributes of God. 
and you think about Almighty God and something, and tonight we've heard in the prayers already references to the Psalms and God's power that He has revealed to us. We're just taking God's Word that He has given to us and we're giving it back to Him. That's what it is. And so the Spirit helps us when we pray. There is a dependency then upon the Holy Spirit in prayer. When we pray, we can ask the Holy Spirit, help us to pray. Guide us to pray. And the Holy Spirit will guide us most efficiently through His Word that He's given us. So, we pray by the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Next is, in answering the question, what is prayer? We're praying for things agreeable to His will. We pray. That seems pretty obvious, right? First John, or actually stay in, in Romans if you're there. Romans 8, 27, the very next verse says this. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Intercedes according to the will of God. And if you look at 1 John 5.4, excuse me, 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And that hears us is not that God all of a sudden now hears us where he couldn't audibly hear us before. For God hears all things and knows all things. He doesn't have to hear them. He knows all things. What's that statement of he hears a statement of? It's speaking of an affirmative answer. Now, do we change God's plan when we pray according to His will? No. Not at all. Actually, we, in anything that, that we pray outside of His will, or according to His will, was according to His plan, right? But think of it like this. Think of Jesus modeling this for us. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, we read this, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The Lord Jesus prayed that for us as an example. We also know this. Is praying for good things necessarily God's will? Praying for good things is... No, think about Paul. 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he, that it should leave me. Speaking of that thorn in the flesh. Was it good that Paul prayed for the removal of the thorn in the flesh? Yeah, absolutely. What does James tell us? That the prayers of a righteous man are effective and for the elders to pray and anoint with oil the sick. We're called to pray for people when they are ill, or when they have afflictions. We are called to pray for them and come around them. But we we can't confuse praying for something that's good and thinking that that's necessarily 
what God's will is. God's will was not to remove the thorn that Paul had. You, you look at situations in the Scripture with Epaphroditus. He almost died. Paul talks about him in Philippians. It was the Lord's will that he would be healed. But there was a period of time where he was not. It might have been the Lord's will to take Epaphroditus home. But would it have been good for the church to have gathered around Epaphroditus and pray for him? Absolutely would have been good. But it doesn't mean that it was necessarily God's will. So how do we determine that? Well, we know this. We're not to pray for anything outside of Scripture, right? So so what is one way we can ensure that we are praying according to God's will? So if someone's sick, am I supposed to pray for them? Yes, Scripture tells me to. Am I supposed to pray for the advance of the gospel? Yes. Are we supposed to pray that we would reach people here in the town of Linden? Yes, those are all good things that we are called to pray for. That would be praying according to God's revealed will. But that doesn't mean that necessarily God is going to answer that in the affirmative, right? We may never see one person saved. We may never, no one may ever get well. We pray that the Lord would actually do those things that we pray for, but He's not obligated to do them. Am I to, you think of ethical situations. Help me get away with this so I don't get caught. Is that praying according to the will of God? No. I think sometimes that gets that happens though, doesn't it? Lord, help me not get in trouble here. So when we pray according to the will of God, we can never pray for something that goes against the nature and character of God. If you do, he'll probably chastise you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably. Now, when this, this idea of, of praying for agreeable to his, his will, we, we're going to look at other passages that say a very similar thing. We have, to, we have to understand that that's not a magic spell. And sometimes I think it's looked at as that. In some circles, it is looked at that way. And related to this, in praying in his will, we're also supposed to pray in the name of Christ. Notice what Jesus says in John chapter 14. He says this n- numerous times. In chapter 14 of John, verse 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now, what are these greater works? The greater works was the advance of the gospel. Peter reached more people with the preaching of the gospel in a single sermon than Jesus did in 33 years. Jesus answered that prayer with the disciples, that they would do greater works than these. He goes on to say, following that, 
Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Well, this is related to those works. And the Lord did that. And in fact, today, the gospel is being heard all around the world. The disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ are in that sense doing greater works than Jesus did. In that the advance of the gospel has reached all the ends of the world. Jesus never went to England to preach the gospel. Jesus never went to Thailand to preach the gospel. Jesus, I'm sorry to the Mormons, he never came to the United States and preached to Indians. So the church has actually done greater works in terms of the gospel. The Lord Jesus says in John chapter 16, in verse 23, he says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So notice in 14, Jesus says, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, he says, if you ask, uh, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And you think about what we read in Paul in, in Romans 8.27, that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf with the will of God. The triune God promises to answer our prayers in the name of Christ. So in the name of Jesus is a prayer that accords with all that Jesus' name stands for and all of Jesus' name is. Jesus in his name, praying in Jesus' name rather, is not just tacking his name at the end of a prayer. A prayer in Jesus' name is a prayer according to the name of Jesus. Praying for what Jesus would pray for. Praying for what Jesus did pray for. Praying for what Jesus commands us to pray for in his word. Again, would Jesus pray for someone to be healed? Yes. Would Jesus pray for material wealth and prosperity? That would be strange because he did not have a place to lay his head. Again, it's not a magic incantation to just tack Jesus' name at the end of a prayer and say, I believe it, I said it, and now it's going to happen. The next thing about what is prayer, prayer is to be believing. In Matthew 21, in verse 22, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Then you see a similar passage in James chapter 1, verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And what does this mean? Again, is this like if I just, if I'm believing then it will happen? I don't think that that's what it's talking about, but it is showing us that effectual prayer is a believing prayer. 
Does this mean that answering our prayers depends on our faith? Now, you hear that in charismatic circles, that, that, that your God answering your prayers is dependent on your faith, but yet Jesus says, and James tells us here, that we are to pray with belief. I can't pray with absent of faith. I can't think of it like this as if if I just go to the Lord in prayer real quickly, not even thinking about it, but just habitually doing something and walking away. Was that a prayer of believing? That I'm actually in communion with the God of the universe. That is a prayer of believing. Would selfish prayers be an example of a prayer of faith? Would prayers that go against God's word be a prayer of faith? Would prayers that ignore the nature and purposes of God be a prayer of faith? No. Lord, you, you, have, you have called us to prayer, and you have said that it is good to pray for the lost, and Lord, I'm praying for the lost. I'm praying for this person that you would save them. And you tell us that that is good, and I... I believe that you can send your spirit and save that person. Would you save that person? That's a a prayer of praying faithfully, believing God for his word. So many people have been beat up over the years um, thinking that, gee, I prayed in faith, but my prayer did not get answered. And um, they're wondering, I mean, they're really doubting their own salvation and sometimes beating themselves up because, um, gee, I prayed in faith, but God's just not hearing Yeah, how much faith do you got to have? Yeah. It's, 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 it's heart-riching how that um, enslaves people in, into fear and puts them in bondage. It's used as control over people. Oh, the, well, you're willing, but not my will, your will. Yeah. That prayer was not in. So we should take a lesson from that. Yeah. Well, he did say no. Yeah, he says, but if whatever your will is, I, I'd like you to do this for me, but whatever your will is, and that was his will, was he was to die on the cross. But he did ask. The Lord didn't say that. Yeah, no, he said. But it was not. Yeah. Yeah, the Lord always answers our prayers. Yeah, there's always yes, no, wait. Or wait. wait. Yeah. Yeah. Next thing about prayer is this. It's to be with confession of our sins. Psalm 32, verse 5 says this, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. There's something wonderful about confessing your sins to the Lord. And we're called to go and confess our sins to the Lord. In fact, we're to confess them regularly. We're told that in 1 John, that we are to confess our sins. Confession sometimes gets a bad rap in Protestant circles. Why? 
because of yeah Roman Catholicism. But actually, isn't there something nice and refreshing and and just absolutely uh, freeing when you go to a brother or sister in the Lord and you confess your sins to them and they say, "Hey, if you're in Christ, you're forgiven." There's something wonderful about that. But also in our own prayer life, when we go to the Lord and we, we confess, we know He is righteous and just to forgive us. There's something nice in that. We are to confess our sins. Listen to this prayer of Daniel. In Daniel 9, verse 4, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Now notice how he starts out with attributes of God. In his prayer. He's adoring God for who God has revealed himself. And he goes on to confession. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Now, Daniel's interceding on behalf of the people. He's not necessarily praying for what he has transgressed, he's praying for including himself in it, what the nation of Israel has transgressed. Now, there's a couple of things about Israel versus us. They were constituted as a nation with a civil, judicial, and moral law that they had to keep in order to stay in the land. And when they didn't keep it, what happened to them? Kicked out of the land. We don't have such a code as citizens of the United States. But that doesn't mean this doesn't apply to us. Think about how the church should be praying. If we, if we as, a, as a church have been sinful, should we as a church confess those sins? Yeah. And then you also do think about the corporate sin of our nation. Are we part of this nation that we've seen sin take place. What's the, what's the greatest sin we have seen in this nation? Abortion. There's no greater sin that this nation's guilty of than abortion. It's the worst. Now, some people might say slavery, as horrible as that was, sorry, people weren't murdered in the womb. It, horrible sin. But they still have a chance for the gospel. We're not murdering them. And so we, 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 we should be praying for our forgiveness, even though we haven't partaken in that. We fight against it. We should be praying for life, but we should be praying more importantly that the gospel would reach those people that are thinking of doing that, or that have done it need forgiveness, or those that are in charge of, of making laws responsible for it. Wouldn't Daniel's prayer that you just read, wouldn't that be an example of like even corporately in this church, how you could pray for he prayed and the subject of sin in that regard, wouldn't that be a good prayer? Yeah, that's what I started off with. As a church, we can pray that. When we, when we as a church have sinned, we should pray that. And when I look at the church as a whole, the church in America, the, the, the visible church, or the invisible church in America, is, is greatly off track. 
We should be praying for its repentance and forgiveness. Uh, Daniel 9. Daniel 9. So, what, what I think we need to see is that wherever we transgress God's word as a church, we need to pray that the Lord would forgive us, bring us to a place of repentance. And we need to pray that the gospel would reach those that are in places of power. That's why Paul tells us to pray for kings and rulers and all types of people. That's what he tells us to pray for, is for them that make those decisions. Finally, what is prayer? It's thankful acknowledgments of his mercies. And no better passage than Philippians 4, 6 could be referenced. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So gratitude must be part of our prayer life. We should consider things that we are thankful for in our prayers, especially in the answer of prayers. So sometimes we, we forget that part. We, we're quick to pray for something, but then we, we forget to go back and say, oh, thank you, Lord, for doing that. But actually, we should be praising. So is there anything lacking, ever lacking that we need to confess? Probably not. Are we ever lacking in anything to be thankful for? Probably not. And are we ever lacking in anything that, that we need to be praying for? Probably not. Are we ever lacking in anything uh, that we can praise God for? Probably not. And so we, we always have things to pray. So let me just point out from the question, let me read the question and answer in its totality now that we've gone through each line. What is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God by the assistance of the Holy Spirit for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ, believing with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgments of His mercy. I think that I'm, I want to say these, these four points and many more could be given. Prayer is not mindless. Prayer requires thought. Prayer re- requires a, a moment to pause and gather yourself before you go to the Lord in prayer. I think that we also see here, in many ways, Scripture calls us to be formulaic without necessarily being formulaic in our prayers. What do, what do I mean by that? There are certain things Scripture tells us to pray for, right? So we're, we're kind of formulaic in our prayers, and that's okay. But without being formulaic where I say the same prayer every single time I pray and, and just become repetitious. I think this also teaches us, as we look at Scripture and we looked at the Catechism, that prayer takes work and it takes time. I, I hope that my prayers are more mature today than they were a couple of years ago. And I, I hope that my prayers are more mature in 10 years, if the Lord grants me 10 years, than they are today. 
it takes it takes work and it takes it takes time. It, in other words, it takes effort. Prayer. This is the final thing. While it's often spontaneous, think of Jonah. What does he do when he's going into the belly of the fish? He prays. You see that wonderful prayer of Jonah as he's going in there. I'm pretty sure that was a spontaneous prayer. You think of yourself at the wood mill, and the wood's going through, and your arm gets caught on the wood, and you're going towards the saw blade. You're going to have a spontaneous prayer. We, we, we spontaneously pray. But that spontaneous prayer of Jonah was rich with theology and full of Scripture. So Scripture should form our prayer language. In other words, that we, we're saturated with prayer, I mean with Scripture so much that when we go to the Lord in prayer, that just becomes naturally our prayer language because the Bible is God's Word to us, for us, and praying it back to Him. You think of the Psalms. It's God's Word of how to praise Him telling us that God wants us to praise Him according to His Word. We're to sing psalms with one another. We're to pray the psalms. Um, I was just going to point out, for those of us that are studying the Lloyd-Jones book for Sunday school, um, Lloyd-Jones makes this point that as Christians, there are two times when we're closer or in communion with God than any other on this earth. One is in prayer and the other is in worship. Two times, and we're the closest we can get in communion with, with, with our Lord while we're here on this, on this planet. Yeah, thank you. So, all of that to say, prayer should flow out of a meditative life, and that meditative life is a life that is meditated upon God's Word. And that should form our thoughts. So, does prayer take work? Yes. Should we reflect upon what it means to pray? Yeah, absolutely. Should we study the prayers of Scripture? Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I I like to do a lot of times on a Sunday morning is I'll either pull out the Valley of Vision or Piercing Heaven, which are a collection of Puritan prayers, and I will read them to guide my own prayer life. It can be a very rich devotional and time of prayer. And so, study the prayers of Scripture and study the prayers of those giants that preceded us. You will be edified by it. So with that, let us close in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, you call your people to lift their voices up to you, and so we do. Uh, we know that this is a work of your Spirit in us, that when you pour out your Spirit of grace upon your people, it results in a people that pray. So we do ask that you would pour your Spirit out upon us and that we would be a people of prayer, not only as we gather, but uh, in our homes, in our cars, in our places of work. Wherever we may be, Father, may we be a people that pray without ceasing. I pray that we would reflect deeply upon your word as it guides us in prayer and how to pray and what pleases you in prayer.
We pray that your spirit would guide us in these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.